We are now investigating these horrific acts as an act of terrorism. Oh no, now I have to be really scared. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I'll find someone to blame. I got someone. I'll come up with something. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Scared and terrified. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast. As heard on 90.7 FM in L.A., as heard up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and on 1.6, 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, 93 FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, and coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org on the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app on iTunes, streaming on the Progressive Voices channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, Radio Sputnik, and many others. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all around swell fellow from bradblog.com thank you for joining us today and yes it is another action-packed thrilling adventure of course with our lead story i know you're all waiting for me to talk about it uh boy oh boy just in kale outpacing spinach for the holidays what yeah i know wow that is big the country is above why can't we cover stories like that desi doyan on this show that would be so much easier so much more fun uh, kale continues to outpace other leafy greens for the holidays, says Big Kale. This apparently. just in. This is just in. I got this press release today. Why can't we cover stuff like that? Of course, as I say, it comes from Big Kale. Actually, Big Burpee. It comes from Burpee, the Burpee Seed <laughs> Company. Big Burpee? Yeah, Big Burpee. Um, forecast uh, record sales of kale this uh, this year. Uh, here to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> All those poor children. I wish... <laughs> Uh, we never get to talk about it. Anyway, uh, another a big program for you, as you might suspect today. Very excited about my upcoming guest. I'll get to that uh, momentarily. But uh, female, the female shooter in the, uh, at the Inland Regional Center shooting in San Bernardino on Wednesday, where 14 were killed and 21 were wounded, allegedly swore allegiance to ISIS, uh, to the ISIS leader suggesting she might have been a religious extremist despite family members of her American-born husband expressing shock and surprise at the shootings and the idea that uh, he was a religious a religious extremist at all, according to the uh, L.A. Times' Tashfeen Malik, who joined husband Saeed Rizwan Farouk in the San Bernardino mass shootings that killed 14 people, pledged allegiance to an Islamic state leader in a Facebook posting According to uh, two federal law enforcement officials on Friday, the officials who were not authorized to speak publicly about the matter, so they weren't named, cautioned that the new evidence did not mean that the militant group directed Malik and her husband to carry out the attack and that investigators think 
It uh, instead suggests that the couple had become what they're describing as self-radicalized. Malik, who was born in Pakistan, spent time in Saudi Arabia before becoming engaged to Farouk. She gained legal permanent resident status last year after they were married. According to the L.A. Times, she came here on a K-1 visa, which gives her uh, 90 days to marry her husband. Going to talk about that in a bit, too. Uh, one of the officials uh, speaking uh, to the L.A. Times said the, uh, that the post about her swearing her allegiance to the ISIS leader uh, was made under a different name. It has since been removed, apparently by Malik herself. FBI technicians, however, were able to recover it. Federal investigators are now investigating this uh, shooting in San, Bern San Bernardino as a, quote, act of terrorism. And we will ask our guests what that actually means. We'll be joined uh, in a few moments by Colleen Rowley, former FBI special investigator uh, for decades. Uh, she was also the 9-11 whistleblower from the FBI, named as uh, Times Person of the Year. We've had her on the show many times over the years. She's a perfect person to talk to about all of this right now. Uh, you'll see why in a moment. Meanwhile, the shooter at the Planned Parenthood in Colorado Springs, where three were killed and nine were wounded just days earlier, he allegedly swore allegiance to his Bible and his Christian faith. So there's that. What did both of the shooters uh, in, in San Bernardino and the shooter in Colorado Springs have in common? Well, plenty. Among them, both were easily able somehow to obtain firearms to carry out their killing, no matter how twisted uh, whatever the supposed motive was behind either of those shootings. The news that one of the San Bernardino shooters may have had some tie, no matter how tenuous at this time, to Middle Eastern terrorists, that news comes just hours after lawmakers defeated an amendment in Washington, D.C., introduced by Senator Dianne Feinstein that uh, would have required suspected terrorists seeking a gun to undergo a background check. As Igor Volsky po points out today uh, over at Think Progress, uh, this is after he spent much of Wednesday, Igor did, in the hours after the massacre, documenting the millions of dollars, millions of dollars, spent by the NRA and, and received by uh, Republican lawmakers to ensure that gun safety laws are not shored up, are never shored up. They wish to uh, make sure that those on the terror watch list are still allowed to buy guns. They don't want to close that loophole or even to close the enormous gun show loophole that allows anybody to purchase firearms without a background check at such shows, which are held all over the country. From here in, uh, in California where we are just an hour from the San Bernardino shootings. It's just another uh, couple of hours until you're in Nevada, where those kind of gun shows are held all the time. Easy picking. Easy pickings, whether you're on the terror list, terror list or not, doesn't matter. If you're on that list and you have a bat and there is a background check, you can still buy your gun. If you're uh, if you go to the gun show, uh, however, you probably don't even need to uh, get a, a terrorist. Uh, you don't need to get a background check. You can just buy your gun. That's the important thing. The important thing is to buy as many guns as you want anytime, anywhere, no matter what list you might be on so that you can shoot up whoever the hell you want.
During floor debate over the amendment in Congress, uh, Volsky notes, supporters pointed to the Government Accountability Office report that found suspected terrorists bought firearms and explosives from licensed dealers 1,300 times between 2004 and 2014. Feinstein's amendment would have given the U.S. Attorney General the discretion to block gun sales to terror suspects and provided a process for people erroneously denied a gun to have their rights restored. Yes, there are a lot of people on that list who should not be on that list. But this would have provided a process for them to uh, either get off that list or to go ahead and get their guns. Indeed, Volsky correctly points out, radical Islamic terror leaders have previously urged American sympathizers to exploit the nation's lax gun laws in order to perpetrate domestic terror and lone wolf and homegrown terrorists have increasingly relied on high-powered guns to carry out their attacks. Volsky then goes on to uh, to point us towards this uh, amazing uh, video, and, and I don't even want to hear the guy's voice, so I'm going to read it, but I don't want to hear his voice. This is from... 2011, June 6, 2011, this posting from Ben Armbruster back in 2011, in June, citing a video by American-born Al-Qaeda spokesman Adam Gadan. He's one, uh, he was once the American face of Al-Qaeda. He was killed uh, in a drone strike, apparently, in 2015. But at the time, in 2011, in this video, still posted, you can still find it, Gadan told followers and prospective followers in that video, and I'm quoting here from 2011, the American face of Al-Qaeda said, Muslims in the West have to remember that they are perfectly placed to play an important and decisive part in the jihad against the Zionists and Crusaders and to do major damage to the enemies of Islam, waging war on their religion, sacred places and things and brethren. This is all in English. He said, this is a golden opportunity and a blessing from Allah and a way to show one's appreciation and thanks for this blessing is to rush to discharge one's duty to his ummah and fight on its behalf with everything at his disposal. And in the West, you've got a lot at your disposal. Let's take America as an example. Again, this is someone from Al-Qaeda saying this in English on video on YouTube. He says, Quote, America is absolutely awash with easily obtainable firearms. You can go down to a gun show at the local convention center and come away with a fully automatic assault rifle without a background check. And most likely without having to show any identification card. So what are you waiting for? That's what he said. That's Al-Qaeda. That's Al-Qaeda encouraging their brethren to go down to the, quote, local convention center and come away with a fully automatic assault rifle without a background check. But God forbid we should close that loophole. Am I right, Republicans? Closing the so-called terror gap, the uh, that gun show loophole cited by al-Qaeda's Gadan and the ability for even those on the terror watch list to purchase weapons was strongly supported by the George W. Bush administration, but the NRA spent millions ever since to keep that terror gap wide open. That's your NRA. And on Thursday, in the U.S. Senate, the amendment from California's Democratic Senator Feinstein uh, that would have kept people on the terror watch list from purchasing firearms, that failed in the Senate by a vote of 45 to 54. 
almost entirely Republican versus Democrat. There was uh, one Democrat who running uh, who, who voted against it, one Republican who's who's running uh, who, who voted in favor of it, but it failed. The measure failed. Another measure would have required universal background checks. That was blocked by a vote of uh, 48 to 50. So the terror gap stays open. Thank you very much, NRA. They have certainly gotten their money's worth as they continue to buy politicians and lie to the world about gun safety regulations in this country. That, of course, is exactly why for so long I have called on this show and at bradblog.com, I have called the NRA a terrorist-supporting organization and the Republicans who accept money from them and vote for whatever it is the NRA tells them. They are also similarly supporting terrorism in the U.S., no matter how much they pretend to be doing otherwise. By, for example, attempting to block Syrian refugees, hoping to escape terrorism and come to this country in that escape from their war-torn nation, uh, that's how the Republicans pretend to do something about terrorism instead of the, you know, stopping this terror gap, this loophole that even al-Qaeda says, yes, please go out and exploit. And finally now, I'm happy to say I'm not the only one calling the NRA a bunch of terrorist-supporting thugs. On Thursday... We told you about the New York Daily News cover that excoriated the Republicans who have called for thoughts and prayers instead of action to solve the problem of uh, mass shootings and gun violence, the epidemic in this country, this public health crisis of, of guns in this country. After the 355th mass shooting on Wednesday, uh, the Daily News came out and said, God isn't fixing this. And they quoted uh, all these uh, shameful Republicans calling for thoughts and prayers for the people in San Bernardino instead of calling for action for them. They said on the front cover, as latest batch of innocent Americans are left lying in pools of blood, cowards who could truly end gun scourge continue to hide behind meaningless platitudes. Well, on Friday... They did it again at uh, Daily News. Uh, great big block letters. The news says he's a terrorist, and they're pointing to the to one of the shooters in San Bernardino, and then it adds some more photos. It says, but so are these guys. And it points to Robert Deere, uh, the, 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 uh, the jerk who uh, shot up the Planned Parenthood uh, building in Colorado Springs just days earlier. Dylan Roth, the guy who uh, shot up the church in Charleston, the guy who shot up the uh, Sandy Hook Elementary School, the guy who shot up the movie theater in Aurora, Colorado. And then they add, and this guy, also a terrorist, and they show Wayne LaPierre of the NRA. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I've been calling. That's, you know, I go out every time and I say, yes, this is a terrorist-supporting organization. Now the Daily News is saying the same thing. Wayne LaPierre's uh, vice president, mouthpiece, their face, the way Adam Gadan used to be the, uh, the face, uh, American face for al-Qaeda. This guy is the American face for the NRA, Wayne LaPierre. They say Saeed Farouk joins long list of murderous psychos enabled by NRA's sick gun jihad against America in the name of profit. They are exactly right. Thank you, Daily News. Meanwhile, while Republicans have been pretending to give a damn about terrorism by blocking 10,000 Syrian refugees fleeing their war-torn and terrorism-torn nation... 
despite the dearth of evidence that any of them are involved in terror themselves and that it takes almost two years and incredibly rigorous screening process for any of those refugees to even get here at all, hundreds of thousands, millions in fact, are able to pour into this country via a number of visa waiver programs, including the K-1 visa program that allowed the Pakistani-born fiancé and eventually the wife of the American-born shooter in San Bernardino to come into the U.S. with far less scrutiny, far less scrutiny. And yet Republicans are obsessed with keeping out Syrian refugees, these people who really need our help. When we come back... We will speak with the FBI's 9-11 whistleblower and Times 2002 Person of the Year, Colleen Rowley, about exactly all of this. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from The Green News Report and The Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Uh, writing with uh, Georgianne Nineber over at Huffington Post, Colleen Raleigh, former FBI special agent, whistleblower, um, writes in an article titled, Visa Wa- Waiver Program Has Same Weak Links, Mass Surveillance and Terrorist Watch Listing Don't Work. Uh, she opens the piece by writing, Politicians are scoring points with a frightened U.S. population by hyping the supposed danger of letting in up to 10,000 Syrian refugees. But a much greater or actual risk exists in the current gaps in the visa waiver program. Wednesday's massacre in San Bernardino again underscores the ineffectiveness of relying upon bulk data collection and intelligence agencies' watchlisting process to, quote, keep us safe from terrorism. All the hyped political angst regarding the possible resettling of a few thousand Syrian refugees stands in stark contrast, writes Raleigh, to the relative lack of congressional concern about the equally, if not more, inherently problematic visa waiver program. This long-standing, historically proven dangerous, but little understood Department of Homeland Security administered program allowed 21,231,396 foreign visitors from 38 countries to pass through U.S. ports of entry with minimal to no screening. That's according to 2013 official records. Uh, That's the most uh, recent data that we have. The number should give pause, uh, they write, since visitors admitted each year uh, via the visa waiver program are over 2,000 times greater than the up to 10,000 Syrian refugees proposed a few months ago by President Barack Obama for eventual resettlement in the U.S. The number of VWP, that's Visa Waiver Program, entrants is nearly 20,000 times greater than the 1,300 
Syrians previously allowed into, into the U.S. since the conflict began over four years ago. The program allows 300 times more foreign visitors into the U.S. than refugees from all countries combined. Of those entering the, uh, uh, under that program, uh, almost 300,000 came from Belgium, almost 2 million from France, and about half a million from Sweden. Even before the more recent Charlie Hebdo and November 13 attacks in Paris, it was known that the U.K., France, Belgium, and Sweden were emerging as home bases for Islamic est- extremists joining the Islamic State, or ISIS, or ISIL, or Daesh, take your pick. So do these countries... Among others in the visa waiver program offer potentially easy access to the U.S. for some of their increasingly radicalized citizens now supporting known terrorist organizations, Rowley asks. And is that a far greater threat than the Syrian refugee uh, issue that uh, so many Republicans, presidential candidates, uh, congressmen alike, and as well, uh, I should say, Democratic, some Democratic Congress members alike have been uh, focusing on? And now that we know that uh, one of the shooters in the San Bernardino incident actually came in under one of those waiver programs, the K-1 waiver program, are we once again looking in completely the wrong place when it comes to uh, the idea of keeping the U.S. safe? Joining us now to talk about all of this is Colleen Rowley. She is formerly an FBI special agent, legal counsel for more than 20 years until retiring from the Bureau in 2004. Following 9-11 and after the uh, uh, after w- blowing the whistle on failures at the FBI leading up to those uh, 9-11 attacks, she testified to the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee about endemic problems facing the uh, both the agency and the intelligence community. In 2002, she was uh, one of three whistleblowers named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Seems like we ought to pay attention to her. She's now active in various peace uh, groups, such as the nonprofit Women Against Military Madness and whistleblower protection groups, such as the Sam Adams Associates for Integrity in Intelligence and Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity. She's also a longtime friend of the Brad blog. Uh, we've had her on many times. She's even guest blogged at thebradblog.com from time to time. Colleen Raleigh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Well, thank you, Brad, for that great introduction. Uh, always great to talk to you, Colleen. Uh, there's so much I want to talk to you about here quickly, but to underscore once again why people ought to listen to you, and I don't know if this is easy for you to do quickly or not, but can you quickly remind us uh, what it was that you had attempted uh, to inform the FBI about in D.C. prior to 9-11, about which you testified later in the U.S. Senate and for which you uh, were named a time person of the year for that whistleblowing effort? Yeah, um Essentially, before 9-11, they were not collecting as much info, but the information and intelligence they were collecting was spot on. And in the summer, actually spring and summer leading up to 9-11, there was so much uh, information flowing in about impending attacks that the 9-11 Commission itself characterized it as the system was blinking red, and uh, the directors of the CIA and, and uh, uh, Richard Clark, the counterterrorism director, were said to have their hair on fire. Mm-hmm. There was so much flowing in. But, it, but if you have to put that into perspective, because it was not 
the the collected all total information awareness thing that then occurs after 9/11. And so they actually had a small terrorist watch list. I I understand it only had about 16 names on it. On the day of 9/11, hmm. there were only about 16 people on this terrorist watch list. Can you imagine now there's 1.1 million. So that that actually is a good gives you a good grasp of what happened after 9/11. The 16 that were on the list were were had a much uh, higher percentage of being accurate than, and some of them were actually the the uh, people that turned out to be hijackers. Um, that the 1.1 million on the that's now on the TIDE list. That's the acronym uh, Terrorist Information Data Mart's Environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 1.1 million terrorist watch list. Most of those are false positives. Okay, so you, you just see this great dynamic of change. The problem before 9-11, which is what I became a whistleblower on, was that they failed to share information between agencies, sometimes vertically, sometimes horizontally, and most importantly, not with the public. And that was the 9-11 commission that later took them two, three years to get to this. But finally, this kind of uh, came out that, they, that this was the main problem, that they had all the info, and if they had just forced managers to read it and to share it, and certainly to share it with the public, 9-11 could have been prevented. Now that, you know, people want to see this continuity from before and after, and that's not true. The problem now is very, very different. And, I, and this is what I'm writing about on the visa waiver program. And, now there's a glut of info, almost all non-relevant, and they can't make sense of it. And I want to get to that, uh, obviously, in detail. Uh, but what, what, what was these? there was some very specific information that you were trying to get uh, personally, was there not, uh, well, to, well, this, to D.C.? Well, this was one of the... Uh, we, one of the uh, people connected to 9-11, um, he was not the 20th hijacker. He's often called that Musawi. He mm-hmm. was taking flight training first in Oklahoma and came up here, and there were whistleblowers at a flight school who called our office, not to me personally, but we had agents who immediately investigated, mm-hmm. and they found out that he had recruited for a Chechen leader who was entwined with bin Laden. And this was all found out in a few days. He was actually taken into custody within two days, um, actually for a visa waiver lapse. And he mm-hmm. came on the very same visa waiver program that we are, are, are writing about today. Yes. Um, and this this Musawi was the only actual uh, actually the only one of the nine eleven conspirators who was actually uh, prosecuted. He was prosecuted in the federal district court. And, of course, this was uh, made big waves because all these people thought, no, you can't prosecute terrorists, blah, blah, blah. You have to have to go to war on terrorists. You can't have them. Uh, be uh, you can't have a judicial system. Uh, they can't handle it. Mm-hmm. And he was so he was like the only one. But it was highly successful. He was prosecuted, and he's in supermax. They, the that info about Musawi learning to fly, etc., was passed all the way up very successfully within a couple of days in brief to uh, to George Kennett, the director of the CIA, and even a, a two slide PowerPoint. Uh, Islamic fundamentalist learns to fly um, on August 20. August, let me see what the date was on that. August 23rd, I believe. So August 23rd of 2001, the highest level, the director of Central Telig- Intelligence knows of the person who actually is a, is a planning to commit a terrorist act. Now that contrasts starkly 
with what's going on now, where nobody knows anything and you can't make any sense of it. <laughs> but George Tenet did nothing. He, he, then it lapsed on him. He didn't do anything. He can't explain why he didn't act on it. But on the day of 9-11, uh, when they rush in to tell him a plane has hit the World Trade Center, the first words out of George Tenet's mouth is, oh, I wonder if it's the guy from Minnesota. So obviously he even knew at the time in, in a way, but he didn't act on it. Well, uh, he didn't do nothing. He eventually received the Congressional Medal of Freedom from George W. Bush, as I recall, for his uh, efforts to not take action, apparently, w- with that information. Uh, the, and, uh, yeah. and he received $4 million in uh, advance uh, royalties from his book uh, detailing uh, on how he was so good at not torturing people, etc. I mean, th- this is all of the people who are horribly deficient, incompetent, and even reckless have all been rewarded, and he's just another one. That's uh, that's the free market at work, uh, Colleen. Failure pays, apparently, in this country uh, and in the intelligence system, it seems. Uh, the FBI is now investigating, uh, we understand, as of, uh, as of Friday, uh, the San Bernardino shootings as an act of terror. Um, how, how does that change, that pronouncement, uh, with your understanding as a, as a former FBI agent, how, how does that change the way the investigation will now be carried out once it's pronounced uh, that it's being investigated as an act of terror? Well, I think the only thing that will change, the, the act is over. These, this couple uh, weren't, I, it, it does not look like there's any indication they were directed by any other group. Certainly the, the FBI is looking now back through its linkage in these billions of pieces of data, and they've come up with a few links. Probably they don't even look significant. But in any event, that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And local police would not be able probably to go query uh, directly. They couldn't. They'd have to go through a federal agency to query these massive databases now, in hindsight, to come up with whatever linkage does exist. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it doesn't look like there is much linkage. It looks like uh, they call it self-radicalized, which I think is a bad term, but it means that people are getting inspired uh, on their own, pretty much, just through media, etc. And so when people get inspired on their own and they are not closely connected in, in a real, like a tight-knit organization, you know, the example would be the mafia where somebody gives an order to hit somebody and so there are communications, etc. But when you don't have that, when you just have loose inspiration, now it's, it's a fool's errand to think that you can try to find these things out ahead of time. Now, afterwards, they can look at the, the thing and they can maybe find some linkages. But, and that's what the FBI would be doing and certainly other agencies as well. All right. Let's get into your uh, article, the specifics of your article, because it looks like it was originally uh, perhaps uh, you began writing this in response to the uh, kerfuffle over the past several weeks. Uh, following the uh, November 13 terror attacks in Paris uh, about Syrian refugees and the attempt to keep out 10,000 refugees from that war-torn nation. Uh, uh, you, you write at HuffPo, uh, Huffington Post uh, that uh, last year, and, and you actually wrote this, uh, this reference to a story you did last year, that the U.S. has a gaping hole in its DHS and Immigration Customs Enforcement Monitoring There has been little public discussion about the Visa Waiver Program, a program that 38 countries currently participate in, in which uh, participating countries agree to loosen travel restrictions in order to encourage 
tourism, trade, and business travel. So how does the visa waiver program that you tried to warn about last year, I guess when nobody was paying attention, uh, how does the uh, visa waiver program screen those who are seeking those uh, those visa waivers uh, for pretty much free travel to and from countries like the U.S.? What's the process there? Yeah, um, yeah we... Actually, Georgianne noticed this uh, over a year ago, mm -hmm. that it was quite an easy thing to travel and that there were all these gaps. There was not much written about it, and certainly there was little or no congressional concern about the visa waiver program. Heritage Foundation has this elaborate chart, and they actually were pushing for um, not only a continuation of it, because it's good for business, but they wanted an expansion of the visa waiver program to add more countries. Now, what changed? They, they wanted the, more people coming, and this is the heritage, the right, the right wing, I should say, right wing uh, Republican Heritage Foundation. That's exactly right. Okay. Their director testified that it's working great, and these checks are so effective, etc. Now, what happened was in the year from the first article to our just recent one, the attacks in Paris occurred, and now more and more people are noticing this problem of. Uh, French, Belgium, Swedish, and even UK, you know, many Europeans are becoming foreign jihadists uh, fighting in Syria and other places in the Mideast. And then they go back, and of course, then the poor, the poor French, you know, try to follow them around, but as you can see from the Hebdo attacks and then the recent ones, they have too many people, too many suspects in France, so they have to do a form of triage and figure out who do we follow now and shuffle them back and forth. Now, the United States uh, has, you know, in its wisdom, and this is the root of the problem here, is after 9-11, they, they thought, collect it all, okay, turn on massive warrantless monitoring, collect all this metadata showing everybody's contacts. Um, you know, nobody remembered uh, uh, Stanley Milgram's six degrees of connectedness, so realizing that we're all going to be connected if it's five or six degrees. Uh, degrees of association out, so right. you get these massive charts. Uh, I talked to a reporter yesterday, and I said, you certainly have probably crossed paths, just because of if someone was tracking your cell phone, mm -hmm. they're going to see that you were within proximity of, of, a, of a serious, significant criminal or terrorist, because that's just the way it is. Right. That is the way, people can't understand this, but that if you collect everything, as Snowden, this was Snowden's statement, if you collect everything, you know nothing, <laughs> because it's just a mishmash. Yep. And so after collecting these billions, and, and I think Benny one time said that he thinks it's several trillion now pieces of info that now are vacuumed up and were put into computers. They're being stored. And people say, I don't care if they have my info, but what they don't understand is these trillions of, of pieces of info now are, are completely senseless. They are not helping detect, uh, you know, find, spot, detect, and certainly cannot prevent an act of terrorism. It's making the job harder. So I, I've written a separate article in The Guardian about, you know, if we add hate to the haystack, we're making it harder to find the terrorists. Mm -hmm. If uh, the U.K., for instance, was was thinking about getting social media to turn in, basically become informers, and turn in Facebook would be sending them every single person that they've ever uh, had to take down a post for, etc. Well, that's going to add to the glut. So I had written this thing about, you know, we're, we're not really helping the cause here, mm -hmm. etc. When they have that gigantic, you know, trillions of pieces of info, then they go back and they say, we have to hone down and get something that makes sense. So this is how you, you go from trillions of pieces of info 
to a list, uh, the, the Terrorist Identities Data Mart environment, Tide List, which has 1.1 million persons on it. And that is actually seems to be that in the no-fly list, which are overlapping. The no-fly list is a subset of the Tide. Uh, and this is a nomination pro- process mm-hmm. whereby you go on this list of 1.1 million persons. And I should say, this isn't just names. This is persons, because each person can have several different spelling variations. So it could be 3, 4, 5 million, maybe even more, mm-hmm. entries, but they, they say it's 1.1 million persons. But is that what is checked against when the—because it's, it's uh, as I understand, actually, as, as you write about, uh, that when applying for one of these waivers from one of these, you know, so-called mm-hmm. friendly countries, I guess, U.K., Belgium, France, uh, Germany, so forth— um, basically, you, you go online, you fill out a, a, a form for $14, uh, and then and then what happens? Uh, you you, well, you here's, checked uh, against that big list, and if you don't show up on that list, you're in? Uh, it, you know, this is a little bit uh, vague and in a gray area, because you don't find too many full explanations. You, you find that Heritage Foundation chart, mm-hmm. and it's, it, it actually poses more questions than it answers because it doesn't tell you explicitly, do they check the tide? When you read it all, it kind of looks like they do. But what happens is that they get things that are, you know, the, the tide list, by the way, is full of false positives. There mm-hmm. are no 1.1 million uh, true. They say you have to have reasonable suspicion to be nominated for this list. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, this, we know it's full of false positives. That's why they had to come up with the way to get your name off the list when you're like Edward Kennedy, etc. Right. So because he, so he showed up, uh, Teddy Kennedy showed up on the on the terrorist watch list at one point. Right. Yeah. And lots of people did. Right. Lots of people have been. We know it's it's absolutely fraught with false positives. The government isn't really concerned about that problem of false positives. They, they shrug, who cares, you know, fine, send me your thing and I will take you off. That part of it doesn't concern them. The part, though, that does concern them is, is not the over-inclusiveness, it's the fact that it's also under-inclusive. And so this wife that uh, was the shooter in San Bernardino, mm-hmm. in almost all likelihood, was not on the tide list, and that's what you can kind of read between the lines. Because she so had no, her, she had no uh, apparently known record previously, so she didn't show up on that list. She uh, supposedly is going to get married to this uh, to this guy. She gets a K one visa waiver, which allows her basically ninety days to come into the country and get married to her fiance, which uh, seemingly she did. Uh, but they don't go through any kind because uh, she came in well, under this program. Any kind of the check that, for example, the refugees have to go through for almost two years. Correct? Yeah. It, it, you know, again, some of this is intelligent, uh, educated guessing. Mm-hmm. But the, it seems the main difference. The main difference. Yes, her name would have been checked probably through these uh, no-fly lists and, and tied lists. Maybe the tied list as well. And I'm I'm thinking her name was not on those lists. Okay, mm-hmm. it looks like that's the case already. Now the difference between a Syrian refugee family that applies to come here, and this is a significant difference, is they meet personally in a consulate with people. They get interviewed several times beforehand. They furnish biometric data okay so fingerprints i don't know about iris scans but other uh, i don't know about dna but they do furnish at least fingerprints mm-hmm. and biometric data 
that allows a conclusive. What I was just mentioning about these names, yeah. okay, if your name comes up and there's no biometric data, and the 1.1 million persons is not backed up that way. They are trying to back it up. You know, They're fast and furiously trying to co- collect biometric data from everybody to put into this list because they know their list right now is pretty useless. Uh, It's analysts then afterwards that have to try to piece together, oh, this can't be the same person, this could be. They're sitting there, again, because they're, they're dealing with millions. And when you get into the vast numbers like this without biometric data, you, again, to Edward Snowden's comment, if when you collect everything, you know nothing. If they were to have everybody completely fingerprinted, iris scanned, and everything else, then they would have a better way to identify. So the, going back to the, the few thousand, yeah. uh, looks like 1,500 or so people, the Syrians, they were actually subjected to very complete checking through biometric identification. And that is a vast difference between the visa waiver program and then going back to so the re- under- so the refugees. Let me just underscore this, uh, Colleen Raleigh. The the refugees, uh, the Syrian refugees that are talking about coming in, uh, or you know about bringing in ten thousand of them, they go through this vast, this biometric check, all sorts of uh, of checks before they can come in here. It takes anywhere from eighteen to twenty months. But the visa waiver program, which allows, as I understand it, uh, from your article at Huffington Post, far more. Uh, individuals to come in, you write uh, over 2,000 times greater than the up to 10,000 Syrian refugees we're talking about come in under this visa waiver program, but there is far less check against them uh, and whether we should be concerned about them. How do do we explain this, Colleen? Does this have to do... you, You underscore that it was... Heritage Foundation earlier, I guess earlier this year, that was uh, testifying in favor of this program, wanted to expand this program. Is yep. Does that explain why the Republicans are seemingly not concerned about that program? Um, I think there are now a couple. Of, we cited a couple of congresspersons who have uh, raised questions. And, the, and I'll tell you, the timeline of our writing this, we started last week. And by Monday of this week, Obama came forward with an announcement. And it was like the day before the uh, uh, the day before the shooting, he announced that he was concerned. And and it's and it, the, the article in the New York Times said something like, "Law enforcement are very concerned." Well, that's a sea change because nobody was real concerned until just recently. If you went back a year, almost nobody was. But the the attacks in Paris, and I'm I'm again, this is going to be an, a, an educated guess, and I think the difference between how people became concerned and even Obama. Had announced that he was upping the fines on airlines that uh, don't do good passenger checks. Okay, that's the only thing he can do within his power. The other thing that he'd like to do would be he would like to stop gun sales to people who come in on the visa waiver program. Because not only can they come in fairly easily, and the only check on that is this check through this these massive uh, terrorist watch lists, which are, are fraught with problems. That's the only real check, and, and they don't have biometric data. They have one million people on them that are not fully identified, etc. So that's the only check on them. And not only can they come in, but they are free then to buy guns. Obama cannot stop that without congressional legislation, and then he runs into the NRA and, every, and all the people that are 
uh, for more free gun sales. Which is what I, which, uh, yeah, which I want to ask you about very specifically, but I need to take a quick break here, but we will come back with Colleen Raleigh and we will ask her about uh, what needs to be done to fix this scourge, what can be done to fix this scourge, whether it's in Congress, whether it's our military policies overseas. A lot more to talk about with Colleen Raleigh. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We're speaking with Colleen Rowley here on the Bradcast. Uh, she is formerly an FBI special agent for uh, legal counsel for more than 20 years before retiring from the Bureau in 2004. And she was the uh, 2002 Time Magazine Person of the Year based on her uh, her whistleblowing, I was going to say attempted whistleblowing, uh, uh, before 9-11 uh, Colleen, we talked earlier in this show today about the uh, the alliance. It seems between the NRA and the uh, and the GOP, refusing to keep guns out of the hands of those on that terrorist watch list and refusing to close the gun show background uh, check loophole. So, as an FBI uh, veteran, someone who has been at the uh, you know the, the front of this war on terror for several years. W- what are your thoughts about the contrast when you see the very same people talking about how, you know, we must keep this country safe, we must, uh, the ISIS is the greatest threat we face, uh, terrorism yeah. is the greatest threat we face, yet they are unwilling to take action to do anything about those loopholes? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we, we see hypocrisy every day. Uh, obviously, with the visa waiver program, it would be a very, um, you know, common sense, if anything, is that it's fine if you want to encourage business and, and tourism and stuff, but why would you have to, to allow, if it is a little bit dicey, especially if the checks are not very good, and it's a little bit dicey and you have lots of terrorist attacks now pro- cropping up in the world, why in the heck would it not be common sense to at least limit gun sales to people who are, who are only supposed to be here, by the way, for 90 days? Would it be that important that they go pheasant hunting in South Dakota in, the, in those 90 days? <laughs> that they have to, not only that, but they have to buy their own gun. They couldn't borrow one, etc. So, in any event... So, well, let, well, well, actually, let me, let me just get that straight. So, you're saying that not only the terrorist watch list does not bar you from buying a gun, but even if you're just here for 90 days or whatever it is on a... The visa waiver Under the program. visa waiver yeah, program, you, you're still... They don't... Well... Is it because they don't check, uh, in, in, for example, gun shows, that they don't check against uh, any, they don't no, do any background check? Or even if they did yeah, check, you'd be allowed to come in if you're on, a wave, uh, on the waiver program? Yeah, you're, you're not only allowed, again, if you don't, if you don't uh, get barred from coming in on the visa waiver program, for whatever reason, they, first mm-hmm. of all, can't make sense that you're identifiable with someone on a no-fly list or the, or the tide list. So you come in, then you are allowed to buy a gun. And those checks, of course, would, you know, if you came from France, they, the, the checks, the Brady checks would not be very valuable anyways, for the most part, because there wouldn't be records of people like that in the United States. Right. But, so they would check the same ones, you know, the, uh, but in any event. So if they did do a background, let me just go, if, if they did do a background check, 
uh, when you buy your gun, and they find that you are on the visa waiver program, that does not disqualify you. You're good to go if nothing else that's, shows up. That's exactly right. Visa waiver program, there, there's a, a judicial ruling. It's my understanding there was a court ruling at some point that said anybody that comes in under the visa waiver program, unless something else, I mean, mm-hmm. unless there's something else, is allowed to, to buy a weapon here. You can't prohibit people automatically who come in under the visa waiver program. There's a court ruling. That's why it would require congressional action. Obama can't just uh, end it and say all people who come in under the visa waiver program are ineligible to buy weapons. Colleen, I've got just a few minutes, but there's uh, three or four questions that I want to pepper at you here to see if we can uh, hit in in a short time, because there's three or four things I'm really wondering about that I would love to get your your thoughts on. One is, uh, you know, even Donald Rumsfeld, Uh, had worried about creating more terrorists than we are killing through our uh, through our militarism, through our ongoing wars and so forth. He was worried about this years ago, more than a decade ago at this point. Mm -hmm. So have the systems that have now been put in place since 9-11 in your estimation? And I understand you've been out of the uh, bureau now for a number of years, but have, have those systems, the way we have changed the system, supposedly improved the system since 9-11, have they actually made us any safer? And I suppose the bigger question here would be, uh, even if they have made us safer uh, comparatively, have our continuing actions in the Middle East uh, antagonized the world enough, I suppose, on their own that uh, that they have made us more of a terrorist target than even any improvements we've made to the system. Does that make sense, that question? No, yes, it does, but um, it it's the biggest falsehood out there. You will never, ever hear a reporter who doesn't implicitly frame things as uh, we're safer now, mm-hmm. almost never. And then, you know, even if they quibble with some slight thing like this visa waiver program, they will never... And the problem is, from the standpoint, it's like a de- it's like a football game. You know, you have offense and defense, and it doesn't matter. Even if your defense does get better, if your goalie on a soccer, or if you put two goalies in there, it doesn't matter. If you if you triple and quadruple the offense, the, the people who are playing defense can't possibly win. I, I will credit, you know, some of the people like Rumsfeld and, and Stanley McChrystal with his comment about if for every uh, drone target we get, we create 10 more. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- these people, I think David Swanson listed 10 different generals who have said this. They've actually acknowledged that we're creating more uh, people who hate us and more potential attackers than we can possibly kill. You know, and, and people say, oh, you're a soft pacifist, you know, by even mentioning this. But you know what? This is very pragmatic, and, and actually, the, the generals realize this. You can't. They'll say we have. There is no military solution, and so what we're doing is we're creating the potential. And and it's not, by the way, just Islamic extremism. We are also seeing the same thing with the domestic terrorists who who watch American Sniper and yep. this culture that emphasizes that getting a gun and shooting people is the answer to your problems. There's actually more. Uh, mass shootings now that are, would be, actually be in this category of active shooters. Most of them are fairly senseless. You, you say, oh, what's the motive? They don't make a lot of sense. The Aurora Theater and Newtown, et cetera, they're 
people who are mentally deranged or handicapped. However, there is a connection here because we are, we are inspiring. It's the same connection of inspiring people by telling them, and it's from the top down, it's from our leaders down, our movies, our culture, telling people, okay, I can't get a date uh, like the guy that shot the Planned Parenthood or um, the guy in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. I can't, this is my personal problem. Okay, the solution must be, I see it, I see it everywhere. The solution is to get a gun and go to the mall, go to the churches, go to go to the church, go to the school, go to the stadium and shoot as many people as I can. And that unfortunately has become a serious problem for the United States. People don't they're they're trying to distinguish terrorism from active shooting, from going postal, workplace shootings. They in, they share a large degree of similarity. It, There's a mo- lot more similar about these types of things than there are differences. That, and that, it's inspiring people. And that, and that was, it's funny, uh, it's almost like you're reading, I had jotted down some questions to ask you, and the very next one was about uh, David Swanson and then about domestic terrorism. So to drill down just very specifically, uh, since you mentioned David Swanson, uh, he, he's, of course, uh, our friend. We've had him on uh, broadcast many times. I know uh, you work with him in your peace work. He's a, uh, an anti-war, a pro-peace author. Uh, he says we're, what we're doing in the Middle East is entirely wrong. We're doing the entirely wrong thing by increasing the militarism in the Middle East. He says a better solution is not to increase the wars, but to end the militarism, to stop flooding the Middle East with weaponry and arms and begin flooding it instead with aid and even, you know, for example, a renewable power grid. Uh, Do do you share his thoughts that that is a more effective way to pursue the war on terror, so to speak? Uh, Or do we have to, you know, keep increasing uh, the number of countries who are who are bombing uh, ISIS? Uh, What's the solution here, Colleen? I think this is the only solution. You can't, you know, this is, and actually this harkens back to Vietnam. There is no way to bomb your way to peace. Increasing the, the size and the scope of the war zone, as the United States has done, you know, from one, two countries now to half a dozen countries to the entire Mideast and now stretching even into Ukraine and elsewhere and, and revamping up the Cold War. This is a recipe for complete disaster. And it actually, it's what the CIA calls blowback. You cannot do this. You cannot, you know, in Vietnam, they said you can't bomb the the village to save it. And so what we're doing is completely wrong. I, you have to cross your fingers and hope that there are some smart people. You know, David Swanson, even myself now, we're kind of voices from the outside. If we were to have a mic, I think, in some of the, the boardrooms of the highest levels, I think you would hear people saying, uh, a little bit like Mike Morell, who was second in charge of the CIA, just said, oh, gosh, I was all for this policy, but maybe we have to change the policy. You know, we, and when you see this, people they finally admitting that this is actually increasing the problem. And, and I think self-interest is a key. When you, when you see your own children, when you see your friends and relatives, um, the attack in Paris, you know, as long as it's bombing Syria, bombing Yemen, people like shrug. People in Paris, oh, well, you know, what, you know, so what, we're, we're bombing some people in Yemen, or Saudi Arabia is bombing people in Yemen, and we're furnishing the weapons, and oh, well, we're making some money, so what? 
when it hits you and when this blowback hits us, people have to really seriously think, what are we doing that is causing this and that is creating more of a problem? I think it's not only just more effective, I think it's the only solution now. No amount of collect-it-all and, and computer technology trying to come up with more accurate lists can possibly work, and we're seeing this over and over. When you inspire people in the United States, and certainly many of them are mentally handicapped, but we've all always had the same level of people who are mentally handicapped. That exists throughout the world. Um, you know, why is this happening here in the United States where this has tripled in the past couple of years? Tripled. Well, there's a reason. And it's got to be, you know, think about it. What is the reason? Why is it tripled? Ask those questions. At the very least, ask them. And, uh, you know, if we're creating more could-be, would-be terrorists, we've got to find a way to reduce that number. And, and I think the only answer is to is to say war is not the answer. War is, is hurting us. It's it's creating this. I, of course, uh, predicted this way back, right after 9-11. I, I wrote that this was going to hurt the United States. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. And it's not only what we're doing abroad, but the way it is reflected here as well with uh, extremism at home. I, I we're, uh, we're short on time, so I can't ask you about this. Uh, but I, well, I had hoped to ask you about the Department of Homeland Security and their retracted report from 2009 on on domestic terror, right wing domestic terror and the. Uh, the conservatives, through a fit at the time, forced them to uh, uh, retract that report, despite the fact that we have, uh, I was going to say as much, but far more, far more, in fact, terrorism in this country is just domestic terrorism and, uh, you know, not a Middle Eastern terrorism, not ISIS. And, well, we're just on a lot of wrong tracks. I guess we're going to have to hold that for another time, Colleen. Uh, always good to talk to you. Always enlightening to talk to you. Colleen Rowley. Uh, former FBI special agent uh, for more than 20 years uh, be, until she retired in 2004. Check out her important work and her important article. Pay attention to what Colleen says before uh, it, it comes to haunt us years later. Uh, you can read her uh, article over with uh, Georgianne Nienaber at Huffington Post. Visa waiver program has same week links. Mass surveillance and terrorist watch listing don't work. Colleen, always great to talk to you, and uh, I hope to do it again soon. Yep, thanks so much. Goodbye. Thanks. Okay, man, what a week. I say that every week now. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and, of course, to Colleen Rowley. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it at bradblog.com, or you can go on over to iTunes download it there you can subscribe for free and get all of the broadcasts and uh, while you're there give us a good review makes it a little bit easier for the rest of the world to find the broadcast as well drop me email if you like i am broadcast at bradblog.com and of course you can find and follow me on the facebooks and the twitters at the brad blog Thanks for joining us today. Greatly appreciate it. Until next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey.